in a year that has been so improbable, the impossible has happened. A shot on Elo. Guys, the Bulls win! You know what time it is. The most amazing, sensational, dramatic. Oh, blocked by James. LeBron James with the rejection. Holy cow. Oh, my God. I don't believe it. It just continues. Welcome back into another episode of the Sports Hour. This is Mitch Bowe. And this is Dallin. Welcome on in. It is so good to be here on this Wednesday night as the intro loops because... We have a great show ahead, our Super Bowl preview, jam-packed, getting you ready for the big game on Sunday, not just previewing this Super Bowl matchup between Kansas City and Philadelphia, but also getting into some uh, fun other Super Bowl talks, some drafts, uh, some forgotten all-stars, Super Bowl editions. This is going to be a jam-packed show. Cannot wait to get into it. First off, Mitch, my friend, this Wednesday evening, we're doing this uh, live on YouTube and Twitter. It's February 8th that we're recording this live and doing this live. I got to ask you first, though. How are you doing? I'm fantastic. Much better than I was last week. Yeah. Much better. Last week was a struggle. but Yeah, had the flu game. As you remember, I had a very mediocre intro to the podcast, which Mitch just blew out of the water this week with an, with an excellent return. You'll love to see it. Uh, are you ready for the Super Bowl? Are you ready for the NFL season to like come to an end? Because I'm kind of not. I, I don't know. I don't know. I, I'm ready for the Super Bowl. I, I, I'm ready for the game uh-huh. itself. I I don't want football to end though. And mm-hmm. like that first weekend without real football, like we just had that this last weekend was like the first weekend since like August without real football. And you're just like, I, I didn't kind of know what to do with myself. I was like, no, I usually Saturdays or Sundays, I turn on a game and I'm watching football all day long for the whole day. That's my life from August till January. Now, and yeah, yeah, and like so, like I'm not ready for life without football for the next seven months. I like it's gonna it's gonna blow a little bit, but all good things must come to an end. It was an incredible 2022 season, and we are primed to have an incredible Super Bowl matchup. An incredible yes. one. Yes, two number one seeds. The top two teams from each conference, which we don't always see. It's it's pretty rare that we actually get the two number one seeds facing off in the Super Bowl. Two 14-win teams. Uh, we'll get into plenty about this matchup as we get into the podcast. But we will start this off today uh, as we normally uh, do because uh, there are... Quite a, there's quite a bit going on in the world of sports right now. Quite a a lot of news that we want to get to. So we would be remiss if uh, if we didn't start this off the way that uh, we always do. That's right. Let's get into the news and notes around the world of sports. Let's get into the news. Yes, sir. The news today, and we will start, Mitch, 
in the NFL uh, with some coordinator hires. Last week, we talked in depth about the three head coach hires made by uh, the Panthers, uh, the Texans, and the Broncos, respectively. We are still waiting on the Colts. The Colts have said uh, the Colts are still interviewing. Jim Irsay came with his big statement. They're taking plenty of time. They're interviewing guys for 12, 14 hours at a time. It's like intensive. They may or may not be locked in on some of these Philly assistants, uh, like the OCDC, Shane Steichen, and, and Jonathan Gannon, respectively. So they're going to wait. Arizona is seemingly, uh, they said today or is reported today that they are planning on waiting till after the Super Bowl to announce their head coach hire. So nothing imminent on that front coming. We'll get to that in, in at a later date. But we did have some big I, coordinator hires uh, that I do want to discuss. Yeah, I, I I heard this on part of my take, and I thought it was a really funny take uh, about why Jim Irsay is taking so long to hire head coaches. Like, maybe uh-huh. he just wants a lot of people to hang out with. Like, he's just inviting these guys over for 12-hour interviews, and he's just, like, he's wants just to show lonely. them around the facility. He just... <laughs> What, like, oh, you want to help on my jet and go to lunch after this 12 hour interview? Yeah, that's cool. Like, he just wants to hang out with so many yeah, people. That's it's actually probably he's just getting free bro dates and you know, just as, as interviews and then being like, oh no, actually, we're gonna hire Jeff Saturday. Uh, <laughs> exactly, so, right? <laughs> uh, yeah, honestly, I wouldn't be shocked at this point. So, we'll see how where, where those go. Uh, the final is just real quick on the Cincy thing, or sorry, on the Cardinals thing. Uh, Cardinals are are seemingly between two uh, finalists at this point. Mike Kafka, the offensive coordinator for the Giants, and Lou Anarumo, the defensive coordinator for the Bengals. Those seem to be the two finalists for the Arizona job. So we'll be interested to see. Keep that in mind as we head into next week. Probably one of those two names going to get that job. But let's dig into these coordinators. Mitch, four that I want to talk about. In fact, four defensive coordinators uh, with uh, some big time experience and some success. Uh, I want to react to these, uh, but let's let's jump into this. Panthers hire former Broncos defensive coordinator Edgero Evero. Um, he was the DC last year with Nathaniel Hackett there in Denver. Uh, he was let go or allowed to move on when Sean Payton came in. He actually interviewed as a head coach for a number of places, including in Carolina, where he impressed. Uh, They're able to secure his efforts as their new defensive coordinator alongside Frank Reich. The Saints hired former Browns defensive coordinator Joe Woods to be their new D.C. Uh, Dennis Allen will still be, it'll be Dennis Allen's defense, his DNA, but Joe Woods will come in and run it and probably put his own touch on it. But that's going to be similar for what we've seen from New Orleans. Brian Flores leaves uh, Pittsburgh and takes the job as the D.C. for the Minnesota Vikings. He actually was a finalist for the Arizona head coaching job. Uh, but, uh, you know, whether he was denied or they told him you're not going to get it or he elected, you know, I'd rather go be the D.C. in Minnesota. We don't know, but he's going to take over at defense in Minnesota that needs a ton of help. And then Steve Wilkes, the former uh, Arizona Cardinals head coach, D.C. and interim head coach for the Panthers last year, uh, finds a new home replacing uh, D'Amico Ryans as the defensive coordinator in San Francisco. So a lot of interesting names in new places. What's your favorite fit here between coach or coordinator? And their new uh, their new digs. I think it's twofold for me. Um, Brian Flores going to Minnesota, getting yep. back on the sideline. Um, great defensive mind. We saw what he did in uh, New England. We saw what he did to turn Miami's defense around during his tenure there. Um, I think this is a great defensive mind to bring in um, to. Um, 
that Vikings organization um, and a defense that struggled at times throughout the year, right? Gave up a ton of points and some things. And maybe Brian Flores can shore up some of those issues, some of those big play issues that they struggled with. Um, Brian Flores seems like a great fit there. Steve Wilk was the one um, that I think made my eyes, eyebrows go up a little bit more because I was almost certain he was going to get a head coaching job. Right. I was almost certain of it. Um, and then he goes to San Francisco and he has possibly the biggest shoes to fill in the NFL. And can you keep what D'Amico Ryan's built over in San Francisco rolling? And I, those, those are giant shoes to fill, but a, an experienced coach like Steve Wilkes, um, I think is going to fill that role just fine. And I think in this, in this situation, you have to be a little bit more of a player's coach. I think in this situation, you have to bring in your scheme, but you also have to look at what's around you and go like, hey, D'Amico, D'Amico did this, D'Amico did that. Not try to be a copy of D'Amico Ryans, but know what your guys do well based off what D'Amico Ryans brought out of them in this last year. So, um, And I think Steve Wilkes is totally capable of doing that. So um, I think those are the two that really stand out to me. Yeah, I mean, I think Steve Wilkes is a home run hire, honestly, for San Francisco, a guy who has the ability to be a head coach and should be a head coach, as you mentioned. Uh, it comes in as a DC. And listen, D'Amico Ryan's had a lot of success building upon what Robert Sala had established, right? And that's all Steve Wilkes will do as his own entity is build upon what that foundation has been in San Francisco for years now and all the talent that is already there that knows how to win, that knows how to play at a high level. This is like an easy thing for him to walk in and be like, all right, let's just elevate this. I have my own little touch on this. I think he fits in a lot of what they're trying to do. So I think it's a huge, a big hire for San Francisco to lose D'Amico Ryans, but be able to replace him with a guy like Steve Wilkes is, is a big uh, W for them. I'm very excited about the Panthers hire, Mitch uh, Edgero. Evero because he had a lot of success in Denver. That was a very good defense. It faded down the stretch, but for a large part of that season, it was the only reason why that team was competitive. And I think with the talent that's on this Panthers defense, a young defensive mind to bring in there who had head coaching interest from a, a multiple teams, including Carolina. Uh, I love that. So I'm very excited about that potential fit uh, for my Carolina Panthers. Yeah. Great fit. Um, that, that's actually a great point that you bring up too, because you think about the Denver Broncos last year, obviously an atrocious offense and really their one shining spot was on the defensive side of the football. Yeah. That was the one thing they actually could do pretty well. So, um, and given the circumstances, I think Edro Evero did an, an exceptional job with that unit um, and is uh, definitely deserving, deserving of getting a DC job, uh, in a probably a more stable, a, a more a more stable organization right now. The Panthers by, are by far more stable than what the Broncos are right now. So, yeah. um, a, a more secure position and something that he can continue to build his resume as he, you know, I'm I'm sure is pursuing a a head coaching role at some point mm -hmm. in the NFL.
Yeah, diversifying your your coaching tree, your portfolio, right, with different stops at different places, proving you can have success multiple ways. All that is just going to help him elevate his profile as a, as a potential future head coach. So it's a business, a great business decision for him. Uh, very talented defense that, ha- that has a lot of potential. So, you know, it's like if they were suddenly a top eight, top six defense next year, wouldn't surprise anybody with the talent they have. And uh, boom, you're right there. So I love that hire. A lot of interesting things there. Again, we'll we'll uh, we'll we'll keep note of the head coaching hires again. Indianapolis, Arizona, the two uh, teams with uh, head coaching vacancies still, and and likely to expect that next week we'll hear news after the Super Bowl is over uh, what direction those teams will head. But let's jump over to the NBA, Mitch, for some NBA news. I want to start with history being made last night in the Staples Center's LeBron James breaks the all-time scoring record in the NBA, uh, surpassing uh, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar's record that stood for 38 years, 38,387 career points. LeBron uh, broke the record last night on a uh, 14-foot fadeaway in the third quarter in a loss to the Oklahoma City Thunder. And, uh, you know, I just think it's, I, I think history being made is awesome. And I, this one in particular is pretty significant to me because that is one of those records that seemed, I mean, it stood for almost four decades, right? I mean, this is a record that seemingly seemed unbreakable. Uh, and obviously LeBron has done it and he's done it four less years of playing time than, than Kareem had. And he will add on, he'll be the first to 40,000 for sure. He'll, he'll add on to this and it'll be, and we'll, we'll probably think the same things to ourselves when he's done, you know, that that'll never be broken and maybe it will or won't. But I think the significance of that is pretty awesome. And uh, just a cool, cool little moment in history, uh, an insignificant game and an insignificant season for LeBron James in his career. Uh, but uh, cool history being made last night. Yeah. I mean, I think what, really helped propel him to this this record was his longevity. You know, he he's been around for a long time. He's stayed healthy for the most part of his, you know, for the vast majority of his career. Um and he's been available. And that's and he I mean also, you know, he's a great scorer. He, he's not the greatest scorer we've ever seen, but he is a great scorer and um for a great score to be available as for as long as he has, it, this was his record for the taking eventually. And, um, a, a, I'm not a big LeBron James fan to be honest with you, but, um, you know, I guess good for him. Kudos to him for, for getting the record done. Yeah. I mean, he's averaging 27 points a game for his career over 20 years. I mean, yeah, uh, he, at a certain point, you're going to break that record and, you know, it will be interesting. I, I've already seen people say this will be, his record will be unbreakable, but uh, the three point era that we live in and scoring proliferation, and we don't know where it'll end up decades from now. Uh, don't say anything is unbreakable. This will certainly be one that stands for a while, though. I, I think this will be a pretty significant record, and that's that's pretty cool. So uh, sure. there you go. Record happening last night in the NBA. Uh, let's a few other NBA notes. I want to talk about the All-Star Reserves NBA All-Star Weekend taking place next week here in Salt Lake City. Festivities uh, getting underway here soon. They're they're throwing banners up on buildings in downtown Salt Lake. Uh, you know, it's it's happening here. And uh, the reserves for the All-Star team were announced. We talked about the starters last week, but these are the full uh, rosters. 
uh, after the starters were announced. They are as follows. Uh, in the Eastern Conference, Bam Adebayo of the Miami Heat, Jalen Brown of the Celtics, DeMar DeRozan of the Bulls, Joel Embiid of the 76ers, Tyrese Halliburton uh, of the Indiana, uh, Indiana Pacers, not Indianapolis Pacers, Drew Holiday of the Milwaukee Bucks, and Julius Randle of the New York Knicks in the West. The reserves are Paul George of the Clippers, Shea Gilgis-Alexander of the Thunder, Jaron Jackson Jr. of the Grizzlies, Dame Lillard from the Trailblazers, Lori Markkinen from the Jazz, John Morant from the Grizzlies, and DeMontis Sabonis of the Sacramento Kings. So those are your NBA All-Stars now. Uh, we know that Steph Curry is not going to play in this game. We now know that Kevin Durant is also not going to play in this game uh, due to their injuries. So we'll see a couple reserves uh, one from each conference, which will be fun. I think a guy like De'Aaron Fox, you know, from the West, hopefully he gets an opportunity to get in from the Kings. Uh, but uh, those are the All-Stars. I, I think they did pretty good. Jaron Jackson Jr. was the one that surprised me the most. I don't really understand why he made it. His stat line, you know, he's it's like a 17-7 and seven kind of guy. I have it a good season for a good Grizzlies team, but not anything significant. But uh, cool to see a couple first-time All-Stars. Laurie Marketing uh, having a great season for the Jazz. Uh, cool to see him get the nod. Tyrese Halliburton, a young player who's really blossomed uh, with Indi Indiana. So really cool to see him get the bid as well. Yeah. Um, first of all, shout-out Sacramento Kings. You have an All-Star for the first time, and I don't know how <laughs> exactly. how long. Yeah. Like, holy smokes, since, how long Since Boogie been? Cousins in, like, 2016, I think. It was yeah. last time, so... So, yeah, shout out Sacramento Kings. Yeah. You got yourself an all-star representative. I do think there was one snub. Okay. James Harden. Yeah. James Harden was snubbed. And I know that okay. there's a lot of guys out of the East that are having some great seasons and that they, they shouldn't go unrecognized, right? But you look at James Harden's stat line right now, like his three-point his three point percentage right now from beyond the arc, second best in his career. He he shot at 390, a 39% clip his third year in the league right now he's shooting at a three at a 38.8% clip of the league. And that's only halfway through the year. So that could go up um, averaging 21 points, averaging over 10 assists a game. Again, um, the, the rebounds are, are at a above average clip for his career. Um, so, you know, it's, it just feels like that there are some that and James Harden, I guess, is the is the post child for this, that there are some guys that are just going to get overlooked and a big name like James Harden, the guy that's been a, a prominent figure in the league for a long time, feels like uh, there's a little bit of injustice maybe for not getting yeah. him into the all star game. Yeah, I think that's fair. It also goes to show just how talented uh, the NBA is, full of stars, right? Because, I mean, a guy like Trey Young, who's averaging almost 30 points a game or maybe is averaging 30 points a game, didn't make it either, right? And you're like, I mean, those are – Devin Booker didn't make the all-star team. Uh, and, and I think, you know, I think that just goes to show how, how much talent there is in the NBA, that there's that many players that we can look at and say, hey, probably should have got in. Uh, it is, it is interesting. A guy like James Harden, Drew Holiday and Tyrese Halliburton are like the two guards that get in in the East over him, both first time all-stars, right? So you wonder if that was sort of like uh we're tired of James Harden. Let's throw somebody else a bone sort of thing there. But, uh, but yeah, it's a great point. Great case there for, uh, for Harden as an all-star. Yeah. Yep. Uh, Mitch, uh, let's talk about a couple NBA trades here real quick before uh, we get to the end of the news. 
Uh, first one happening earlier, a few days ago. This is the Kyrie Irving trade. He requests a trade from the Brooklyn Nets. He's not happy there. The extension's not coming. He doesn't want to stay. Uh, so he wants out. So he gets traded to the Dallas Mavericks. The Mavericks make a move to bring in a star alongside Luka Doncic. And they send back Spencer Dinwiddie, former Brooklyn Net, back in Brooklyn. Dorian Finney-Smith, a first-round pick and multiple second-round picks. So uh, pretty big. I think that's a decent-sized haul for Kyrie Irving, right? Spencer Dinwiddie is a a very, very good player. He's not an all-star you know, he's above a role player. He's somewhere in that middle. Uh, I think that's a solid player. Dorian Finney-Smith was highly sought after in the trade market. There were a lot of teams interested in him as a 3 and D wing. You get a first, and you get off Kyrie Irving, who has just been an absolute uh, burden for you, Mitch. The Kevin Durant-Kyrie era was all but 74 games on the court. Se all we saw was 74 games of Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving in Brooklyn. That is absurd. That's crazy. We saw less than a full season of them on the court together over those years that they spent in Brooklyn. It's crazy. An absolute uh, failure, frankly, for the Brooklyn Nets in that, in that attempt to make this happen. Uh, and uh, they luckily found somebody willing to take on their problem and actually get a decent price for it. So good on Brooklyn for getting off K uh, Kyrie. Uh, it'll be, I have some thoughts on Dallas, but I do want to get your thoughts here on this trade. If I'm the city, if the city of Brooklyn, the borough of Brooklyn, the city of New York, I am jumping for joy because the cancer is gone. Yeah. We don't have to worry about Kyrie saying something that's going to get him in trouble. We don't have to worry about one of our star players not playing tonight because he's, got some sort of issue or he's I I hate to use this but hurt and I have to put that in quotation right. marks because there are sometimes I think he was taking time off for being hurt he wasn't really that hurt um he he would he would drive me nuts because it's like you know you're getting paid millions of dollars to go play a game just get out there and play the game will you get out there and play the game he played just a tick over 50% of his total possible games he could have played in Brooklyn. Played just a tick over 50%. I believe it was 143 yep. games he played actually in Brooklyn. And he could have had a possible like almost 300, like 280 something. So, I mean, his reliability, his availability is in question. Um, was that a tactic to get out of Brooklyn? I don't know. He seemed pretty excited to go to Brooklyn at the start. And then it, it just like it fell off the face of the earth all of a sudden. So, yeah. you know, I, I think that he's a sore for any organizations that he's going to do now. Granted, I hope that that's not the case in Dallas because I love Luka Doncic. And I think that Luka deserves to have a guy with the talent of Kyrie Irving um, to, to work with because Kyrie Irving is immensely talented when he's playing and when he's available, the best ability is availability and right. Kyrie Irving in Brooklyn was not available 50% mm -hmm. of the time. And that's an issue. So I hope that thing changes in Brooklyn. But, um, you know, I, I as far as a, on a on-paper standpoint, all of it makes sense. I think it's, I think it's a good deal for both sides. Um, but I think the Mavericks have a little bit of weight, uh, a little bit of 
worry to carry about having a guy like Kyrie Irving uh, trying to plug him into the starting lineup every night. Yeah, and it makes me question, like, why make the move then? Because you're right. I mean, that is the problem with Kyrie. He's great when he plays, but he doesn't play all the time. So is is he going to be available for you when you need him? And if he's not, then why did you trade away assets and players for a guy that you can't rely on? Are you that desperate to make this thing work with Luca now that you need to make this move now? Was nothing else available? You couldn't use those resources for... Fred Van Vliet, right? Or, and it's been less, obviously, you know, you couldn't like, and that one, you know, he's not Kyrie, but like, I, and that's, I just wonder, like, is that price worth the headache of Kyrie Irving? Because as a player on the court, he is everything you want next to Luka Doncic, another ball, a ball handler, playmaker who can take the load off of, of Luka when you need him to and allow Luka to have those spurts of take over the game in the playoffs when you need it. They have not had that. And Kyrie is that when he plays. So, you know, it's curious. Again, we'll see. Perhaps it'll be better in Dallas, but Mitch, he was also very happy to go to Boston and we know how that went. And he was very happy to pay, play with LeBron James in Cleveland. And we know how that went. Right. So it, it seems like it never goes the way Kyrie wants it to be. I, I am going to be hard pressed to believe it's going to go great for him in Dallas. I don't know if you saw this, but it was, I forget if it was from the Washington post or whatever, but it was basically a cut and copy article on Kyrie Irving, his statement on how excited he is to be in Boston right. and how excited he is to be in Dallas. Yeah. Like, it's like the same. Yeah. And it, and it's like, and, and and I mean, Boston fans, if you're a Boston Celtics fan, I mean, look, he said, and, and if you're a Dallas Mavericks fan, listen up, because he said the same thing when he went to Boston. He's very mm-hmm. excited to be paired up with a guy like Luka Doncic. When mm-hmm. he went to Boston, he was very excited to be paired up with Brad Stevens and see mm-hmm. what they can do with this team. So, like, like he's that there's a game being played, I think, that Kyrie is playing, and it's not cute anymore. It's 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 concerning for an organization from an organizational standpoint. Yeah. And listen, I believe he will be a free agent this summer. Now, the obviously the idea behind Dallas trading with him is that they would intend to extend him and keep him and make him a part of this. But there also is a world where this blows up in their face and they cut bait and you just traded all of that for nothing. So. Uh, you know, it'll be an interesting situation to watch. We'll see how it affects Dallas down the stretch this season. But uh, NBA trade deadline, always fun. The trade deadline will pass tomorrow. We do have one more trade that we want to discuss. This came uh, just a few hours ago before we started recording. But a three-team deal between the Lakers, the Timberwolves, and the Jazz. The Los Angeles Lakers are reuniting with D'Angelo Russell. D'Lo, ice in his veins, back in L.A., alongside Malik Beasley and Jared Vanderbilt of the Utah Jazz. Uh, so Timberwolf sending D'Lo, Jazz sending Malik Beasley and Jared Vanderbilt to the Lakers. The Jazz are going to get Russell Westbrook in this trade, who they will then buy out. He will no, he will not play for the Jazz. He will not really be on the roster. They're going to buy him out, but he will go to Utah and be bought out of his contract. They also get Juan Toscano Anderson and Damian Jones from the Lakers and a 2027 first round pick from the Los Angeles Lakers. That is a top four protected pick. So anything outside the top four, it goes to Utah. The Timberwolves in this trade receive Mike Conley from the Utah Jazz. 
Nikhil Alexander-Walker from the Jazz and two second round picks. I think one from LA and one from Utah. So that's the trade for you. Three team deal. D'Lo to LA, Russ to Utah, Mike Conley to, to Minnesota. And that's basically the bones of it. The big parts of this trade, Mitch. Uh, Minnesota getting off a of D'Lo and bringing in Mike Conley, a veteran, a guy who's been around, has playoff experience. Also a guy who was able to build rapport with Rudy Gobert in Utah. And they developed a nice pick and roll game. And Rudy has not been good with Minnesota this year, especially on offense. So bringing in a, an offensive player who you know complements your big-time guy you just traded everything for this offseason, very important. So smart move by Minnesota in that regard. For the Lakers, Mitch, they get off of Russ. That is just a win. I think D'Lo is actually a nice pickup here. D'Lo's been a nice player in the NBA. He, he hasn't maybe lived up to number two overall pick, certainly. He had an all-star season in Brooklyn, but he is a solid player who is going to add to this Lakers team, and Beasley and Vanderbilt are great depth pieces to a Lakers roster that desperately needs role players. This is a huge win for the Lakers. For the Jazz, I don't know why they did this. I don't know why they traded every all those three players away for a, a a 2027 Lakers pick when they already had 14 draft picks over the next seven years. They now have 15. Like, that's great, but you already had 14 first-round draft picks over the next seven years. Danny Ainge, stop being horny for draft picks. You can't field a roster. You can't field a roster full of draft picks. You need actual players. So, I, like, I get the additional asset, but you they have so many assets. I, I don't know why trading all these players just to get a couple, you know, lesser role guys in a first-round pick that you already have a bunch of. So, great moves, I think, for Minnesota, L.A. I'm a little more skeptical on Utah on this one. Yeah, I think that D'Angelo Russell is one of the most underappreciated players we've seen. I love that. Over the over the last decade. Mitch, ice in my veins, D'Lo. I was a fan when LA, dude. I'm 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 with you. I, I, I think I, he's I exceptionally agree. I think he's exceptionally under under uh, appreciated. However, in that same vein, we talked about I think I had we had both mentioned how you know this was gonna work with Russ and LeBron James both being kind of ball dominant guys. And D'Lo is a scorer first. Mm-hmm. I mean, he, he like he's a great he's a he's a great passer, but like he does like his assist numbers aren't impressive, right? For, especially for a point guard. So like you know, I so what's his role going to be? Is he going to have to learn how to dish the ball out a little bit more? Um, do you expect him to still be kind of ball dominant and take the ball to the rim? So I'm not saying it's a wash getting rid of Russ and bringing in D'Lo. Because I I don't think it's a wash. It's it's great that they got off Russ, um, but I, those are guys that like they got off Russ and then they kind of got Russ light, and now we're they're not in the same situation. But they got a a more well rounded player. I think I don't know. I don't know how to feel with Delo. I just I feel like that he's super underappreciated, but he kind of does a lot of the same things that Russ already does which is score first pass second and it 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 just is a little bit i don't know it's not a head scratcher but i don't know how to feel about it yeah but i like i i I think i think it was a win getting off for us to begin with right i I, want to make that clear 
I think the hope, I guess, would be that he is just a more efficient Russ, right? And that's he is a slightly more efficient Russ right now because that's the sure. problem with Russ is, yeah, he passes it, but he also, like, five seconds into the shot clock takes mid-range bricks, you know, for no reason. And so you just need guys that aren't going to do that and know how. And to, he's better on defense. So right, And know how to play their role. And D'Lo at least has played on a Minnesota roster alongside Ant Edwards and, and Carl Anthony Towns with stars and has learned to play his role. He's not the star of that team. And that's evident. So perhaps, you know, now he could find a better role alongside like a LeBron James and AD. Uh, I do think Beasley and Vanderbilt, though, Beasley is a three point you know, got come off the bench, shoot, you know, close to 40% from three, you know, lights out. That's what you're hoping. Vanderbilt's an undersized big who can multi-positional uh, defender, good rebounder. So those are valuable pieces. You know, they're not stars, but they'll get valuable minutes in the playoffs, you know, the situations when you need it, if they can get there, right? That's the hope. So I do think all of those combined, those three are well worth moving off of Russ uh, Toscano Anderson and Damian Jones. So we'll see how it affects. And again, trade deadline will pass tomorrow on February 9th. So we, we may or may not see some trades. Toronto is a place to keep an eye on Fred Van Vliet, OG and Anobi, uh, two most notable guys potentially up and available from the Raptors. So we could see some more movement. Uh, we'll get into that on, uh, we'll have to save it for the next pod, right? I guess so. Yeah. yeah. Mitch, uh, we got to get into the cracking update here. Uh, the all-star Break past in the NHL, and they are back in action. Uh, Kraken lost last night in their one game back, so the record hasn't changed much for the boys. 29-16-5. Second in the Pacific Division, fourth in the Western Conference. And, uh, Mitch, all this is is we got to look ahead at the playoffs. This is the run to the playoffs now. You know, second half of the season's ahead. You're going to play till the end of March. you got a couple months uh, of hockey ahead, and, uh, the position that they're at, right, again, fourth in the Western Conference, second in the Pacific Division right there at the top. You got to maintain that position and just keep playing uh, the good hockey that they've been playing. So great spot for the Kraken, but an important stretch ahead. They've put them in a really good – they've put themselves in a really good spot, and I think that it's important. And this is true in any sport, right? When you're on the back half of your season, playoffs are in sight. A lot of people say it's it can – be a detriment to get tunnel vision hmm. but as a team you need to get tunnel vision you got yeah. one spot in mind right now you lock got playoff in. you got playoff hockey lock in nothing else matters tunnel vision get to the playoffs and that and the kraken have put themselves in a great spot to do that right yeah because they're atop the division don't fold now don't don't choke now just lock in tunnel vision on the playoffs the boys are pucking out mm-hmm. let's, let's let's keep let's keep pucking boys let's keep yeah. pucking hell yeah you Snipe know Selly for the win boys and that and i think that's perfect mitch because kraken and giant squids we're used to being in the deep in the dark in the trenches right and we're locked into our zone we don't know what's going on it's dark out there it's pitch dark but we're locked in we're lo- we 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 got right the there. mission we know the goal we know what we're doing uh, that's what this cracking team's about. Love it. Love it, Mitch. Yes. Uh, NASCAR update for the folks. The clash at the Coliseum, the little kickoff to the NASCAR season this past weekend. Mitch, how was it? It was, I, I mean, it was a fun event. It's a fun event. It's a great exhibition race. Um, 
Martin Truex Jr. gets the dub. Didn't get a win last year. It was kind of a fall-off year for him. Looks like kind of he's revitalizing maybe for the back half of his career because he is one of those drivers in his 40s that is starting to think about retirement. So um, good to see him get the dub uh, on the quarter-mile oval in the L.A. Coliseum. Austin Dillon second, Kyle Busch third, Alex Bowman fourth, and Kyle Larson rounds out your top five. Um, I love the format that they have. Me being a dirt track racing fan myself, a lifelong dirt track racing fan, I love to see the heat format the last chance qualifying race format. Um, it's a, it's a, it's a little bit of a longer format, but it's better. I think than watching a 350 lap race. Cause you mm. get them in small bites and you get to watch it kind of unfold before your eyes in smaller increments, which is a lot of fun. So um, I like that as far as the racing quality goes. I love short track racing. I love it because it's physical. I love it because it's calculated. Um, it's dramatic. This was a slugfest. Mm. This was a slugfest. And there's there's a point to any race fans. And if you're a race fan and you're listening, and then you would understand. And if you're just a person that likes to go see fast cars beat the hell out of each other, let me explain something to you. Good racing does not equate to more cautions. It just doesn't. And we saw a lot of cautions of guys getting dumped, guys getting ran into the back of, and it's that doesn't necessarily make good racing. And so while I think the product is really good and it'll appeal to the casual fan really, really well, because quite honestly, like NASCAR's in a fan crisis, right? We're not we don't have the fan base of the eighties and the nineties and the early two thousands anymore. We have to build this fan base back up. And um, while I think this is a good way to bring in a casual fan that might turn on a race on Sunday afternoon, this isn't quality racing. Just for those that are curious and wondering, this is not quality racing. It's it's, it was a slug fest. They beat the hell out of each other. Um, it was entertaining, but at the same time, you have to take into the perspective of the owners and the drivers, and no one wants to be a part of that uh, at the end of the day, really. So um, while I think it's a great event, I think that there are some things that I think it's on the drivers to fine-tune themselves as far as how they race this track. And uh, Kevin Harvick is running all over people. A veteran, I mean a veteran, was running all over people. Uh, Denny Han or not Denny Hamlin, excuse me. Uh, Joey Logano, a veteran, a champion of the sport, running all over people. So, you know, tighten the screws up a little bit because it's a great event. Tighten the screws up, get some better racing out of it, and I think that we will have ourselves um, a, a really good uh, exhibition race in the future. Yeah. Okay. Love to see it. Mitch Daytona up in a couple weeks, and that'll officially kick off the NASCAR season for us. And uh, and then we'll look forward oh. to the, the weekly NASCAR update. And that was another thing I was going to bring up. Sorry. I have a solution to fix this. Alternate. I want one year at the Coliseum, one year back at the Super Speedway. The Super oh, yeah. Speedway at, at, at Daytona. Drop the format that we had at L.A., Go back to the 20-lap shootout that we had for 
you know, ever until we started including everyone into the race. Do the 20 lap shootout, then go back to the Coliseum, then go back to nice. the shootout. Yep. I think that would be a great way to kind of mix it up, keep things fresh, keep things interesting. Um, but you know, yeah, Daytona coming up after the Super Bowl week or next, not this coming weekend, but the week after. Yep. Um, it'll be a I can't wait. I can't wait yep. for absolutely can't wait for racing to be back. All righty, Mitch, that's going to do it for the news for us today. Uh, and uh, we're jumping all into Super Bowl from here on out. So strap in, folks. Uh, it's Super Bowl for the rest of the podcast. And we're going to start this off with uh, with something that we did a couple years ago uh, on our Super Bowl preview. We had our good friend Jordan Fox on and we did. I, I brought some forgotten All-Stars Super Bowl MVP edition. Uh, and we had some fun looking at some forgotten Super Bowl MVPs. So we thought we would bring this back. And Mitch and I have each brought one for each other. So uh, a little fun here in the forgotten All-Star, but Super Bowl MVP edition. So uh, Mitch, do you want to go first here? Do you want me to give mine first? What are you feeling? Uh, you go first. Okay. All righty, my friend. I am ready forgotten all-star for you wow i might be rusty it has been a couple months since we've done a forgotten all-star yes so we will see how this goes but super bowl mvp edition mitch and my forgotten all-star for you today is a wide receiver who won super bowl mvp with 11 catches and 133 receiving yards in his super bowl win a former second round pick of the team that he won the Super Bowl with, he had only 35 receptions for 454 yards and four touchdowns during the season that they that he won that Super Bowl MVP. Mm. He was also a career two-time Super Bowl champ and is from the AFC. Those are your hints. I got I'll give you like one little extra one. To throw in there, if we get a couple guesses, three guesses again, that's how we do the forgotten all star. All right, but that's what See, I got okay, for so, you. So, the advantage to this is that we can just like think back of who maybe Super Bowl MVP might have been. You can right? narrow down the list, it's not just all pro bowlers ever, you know. Yes, yes right, we, yeah, it's a little easier than the normal forgotten um, all star segments. Dad, gummit. Okay, so 11 for 133, you said. Mm-hmm. Won the Super Bowl. What was his season stats you said again? He had 35 receptions, 454 yards, and four touchdowns the season that he won Super Bowl MVP. Okay, so that eliminates who I was thinking of. And again, two-time Super Bowl champ from the AFC. That'll that to narrow it down just a bit. You know, I don't know. Okay, so here, okay, so here's where I got at. three here's guesses. What, you get three I know. guesses. So here's how I'm at. Here's where I'm at is the two time Super Bowl champ. Did he win more than two Super Bowls? And I don't even know if it was. No, and I, I'm not going to ask for a hint. 
No, you okay. got to give me guesses first. Let's hear a yeah. name, Mitch. Let's hear a name. We okay, need a name. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go Wes Welker. Ooh, no, Wes Welker, but good place to start. I like it. I like it. Okay. Low seasonal totals. See, you know, this, those Patriots teams, they had a lot of wide receivers that had like mm-hmm. low seasonal totals and then they would shine in big moments. Right. Um, who was the guy? Oh, damn. I can see him now. White guy. Tall white guy. <laughs> um, played for the Jets, too. Um. I can't remember his name. It's blanking on me. Um, Okay. I'm going to go Troy Brown. Ooh. No Troy Brown, but that is. He was, he he was a number one. He was a number one in that offense. That's a good guess. That's a good guess. Mitch. You've given two guesses. You have one more guess. I'm gonna give okay. you a. I'm gonna give you a hint here before you okay. give your final guess. You've guessed Wes Welker. You've guessed Troy Brown. You are on the correct team, my friend. That's okay. your final hint. You are on the correct team. You're in the right vein. You got to get the player, but you're right there. So you've got two guesses on the board. One more to go, Mitch. We need to know Super Bowl MVP forgotten all-star. Okay. Well, okay. What do you got? Two-time Super Bowl champ. They win with the Seahawks. No, he went with the Seahawks. I don't think he won with the Seahawks. But he could have won twice with the Pats. I'm going, I'm tripling up on Pats receivers here. I'm tripling up. Okay. I'm going, I'm going Dion Branch. The final answer is Dion Branch, and Mitch has done it. Well done. Let's go. All right. Third time's the charm. It is Dion Branch, Mitch. He won Super Bowls with the Patriots against the Panthers in 2003 and against the Eagles in 2004. And it was that Eagles Super Bowl in which he was Super Bowl MVP. Uh, again, 11 catches, 133 yards. He only played in nine games that regular season due to injuries. So really didn't contribute oh, in that okay. season. That was why I threw that little uh, that little hint in there. And as you were sort of musing, yes, he did end up playing for the Seahawks for a few years before heading back to the Patriots to wrap up his career, but won those two Super Bowls in the AFC with uh, the Patriots. So well done, my friend. Well done. Oh, I love it. Thank I you. love it. Man, yes. I was so my so my question I was gonna ask, but I forgot that you give the fourth hint. Um, was if he had won a Super Bowl in both conferences. Oh yeah, and but I had to talk myself through. I was like, no, I think he went with the. Ce- I don't think he won with the Seahawks because yeah. there you I go. Think he went with the, that Steelers Super Bowl, but yeah. All right, okay, all righty, you are up, Dallin. We're gonna have to dig deep here. Okay, Damn. we are going. With a quarterback. All right. Former first round pick. 17th overall. In 1978. 
Kim. Only played nine years in the league. Both in the NFC. The year that he won a Super Bowl MVP, he was not the starting quarterback to begin the season. Oh. In fact, I'll give you the starting quarterback's name. It was Jay Schroeder. 213 pass completions for 15 touchdowns and 12 interceptions on two on 2609 through the air. His Super Bowl performance was 18 for 29, 340, four touchdowns, one interception. And he played for a future prominent figure in another sport. Oh, okay. Um, Okay, so I'm thinking a couple things here. So you said nine-year career drafted in 1978, correct? Yes, sir. Okay, so we're looking till about 1987. So I've got a little window here. I'm just trying to think of Super Bowl champions in this uh, sort of time frame, um, mid-80s. Hmm. NFC. Okay, I am gonna. Who? Okay, I need. I want to get a guess out first. I don't feel great about this one, but I'm gonna throw out. Uh, oh, I don't even know if this timeline matches up. But Troy Aikman. I think that's even too early for Aikman. That's just a touch too early for Aikman. Right. But you're in the kind of the right. You're close to the era. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Okay, I'm trying to think of some of the other hints. Had a good Super Bowl game. You said he, what was the last hint? Um, He played, his head coach was a former future, or was a future prominent figure in another sport. Oh. Okay, okay, wait, so this... We may or may not be talking about like Joe Gibbs, right? Like the, you know, the, the Washington, maybe it's Washington. Okay. Okay. Mitch, I got to guess. I got to guess. Uh, because obviously I did a number of Super Bowl MVP research. Uh, and this guy may or may not have been on my short list of potential ones that I was looking at because I thought he was interesting. So maybe we'll see if I'm on the right track here. Is it Mark Rippon? It is not Mark Rippon. Okay. Oh, okay. Was that like kind of close? Was I in the you realm? Are, or? You're in the realm. Okay. You are certainly in the realm. Okay. Let's just Do I get way. one more hint? Do I get one more hint before my final guess? Do you have anything else for me? His Super Bowl victory marked a historical landmark in race relations. I got it. Doug Williams. It is Doug Williams. My oh, friend. Yes. That, was the other, that was the other Washington quarterback I had in my head, but I thought it might be ripping because I thought the time worked better. But there you go. Doug yes. Williams. That's a good yes. one. Okay. Doug Williams. And by the way, fantastic game from Doug Williams, right? 18 for 29, 344 and one. The guy that didn't win Super Bowl MVP that could very well could have 
is one of the biggest one-hit wonders in Super Bowl history. Timmy Smith, the running back that filled in for their injured – I forget who the their starting running back was, but he filled in for the injury. Oh, their running back got arrested the night before. That's what it was. Timmy Smith oh. fills in, goes 22 for 204 and 2 in the Super Bowl, doesn't win the Super Bowl MVP. Yeah. Then Timmy Smith gets arrested. So, like – Um, but Doug Williams, yes, he was the first African-American quarterback to win a Super Bowl, um, and, uh, was kind of a, a, a journeyman story in his short, his very short career. Um, but yes, Doug Williams was the forgotten Super Bowl MVP. I love it. That was that was good stuff, Mitch. That was awesome. I loved that forgotten Super Bowl ending. I knew. I was hope. I, I knew if he did. If you didn't get in the first two, the third, I was like, man, I got nothing better other than just say like, hey, we have to acknowledge this. Here's right. The <laughs> and yes, we'll, yeah. But. Well, it worked out. We both got the forgotten Super Bowl MVPs. Love to see it, Mitch. Uh, let's move on. Before we hit the mid-roll, we do want to talk uh, Super Bowl prop bets. Mitch Mitch loves the prop bets. He's going to break down some of uh, the favorite Super Bowl prop bets. We talk about this every year on the podcast, but these are the little one-off, uh, little quirky things that you could bet on in the game. So you're not talking just, you know, yardage over, you know, uh, Travis Kelsey over under 87 and a half receiving yards sort of thing. We're talking like what color the Gatorade is going to be, you know, how long the national anthem is that sort of stuff. So we love talking about these every year, Mitch break down some of these, uh, Super Bowl prop bets for, well, uh, I, for this upcoming Sunday. I do want to start off with some football related ones. So okay. let's start off with opening kickoff to be a touchback. And we're going to do this all based off oh. FanDuel Sportsbook. Okay. Uh, so opening kickoff to be a touchback right now, yes, is at minus 160. No, at plus 128. Ooh. I think I take minus 160 yeah. here. Um, it seems pretty certain that this is going to be, especially if the Chiefs are kicking back off first. Harrison Butker, big leg, going mm-hmm. to be a touchback. Um, which kicker will have the most kicking points? I think this is kind of a fun Ooh. one. Harrison Butker oh, yeah. at minus 124. Jake Elliott at minus 102. I'm taking Jake Elliott in this one. I like Jake Elliott at minus 102 to have the most kicking points here. I'd agree, I'd agree with you there. Um, I think there's going to be, I think the Eagles are going to have some spots where they're going to have to get some big field goals. Harrison Butker might be on the, on the end of some touchdowns, but I like Jake Elliott to get that one. Um, total punts uh, over six and a half or the line set at six and a half right now uh, over at minus 150 under at plus 116. I'm taking under, I'm mm. taking under on the punts at mine at plus six and a half. Well, actually, and this is total punts. So I yeah, may I'd not even under. touch this one. Yeah, and I, I, wouldn't, wouldn't, I wouldn't touch punts. I mean, that's just your I wouldn't maniac. even touch punts. I wouldn't even touch punts. I wouldn't even touch punts. But hey, you know, I guess if you got but five here's bucks. A fun, here's a fun one that we could actually talk about a little bit here is Super Bowl MVP. Ken. Right now, the favorites, obviously, Patrick Mahomes, Jalen Hurts, right? Mm-hmm. Mahomes plus 130, Jalen Hurts at plus 140. Um, and they're the far and away favorites. In fact, the next closest one is Travis Kelsey at plus 1200. Um, I'm going to go a little bit further down the list though. And I'm going to take Hassan Reddick plus 3,500 to be the Super Bowl MVP. I think that this guy's had an incredible year, incredible pass rusher down. You Panthers should be 
absolutely ashamed you let this guy go. Um, I like Hassan Reddick uh, to be a Super Bowl MVP candidate. I think that's a solid bet as far as taking the defensive player. A little risky to take a defensive player, but sure. maybe you put you put you know 20, 40 bucks on Hassan Reddick plus thirty five hundred. You might walk away with a good payday. Yeah, um, I, I I like that one, Mitch, especially because like I think of like a Chris Jones, and Chris Jones is obviously a great defensive player, but he's not going to get the kind of gaudy numbers to win a Super Bowl MVP like an edge rusher would, like a Reddick who could come if he comes off the edge with two sacks and a forced fumble. You know what I mean? Like he's yeah. uh, he's going to have yeah. a very strong case. And Chris Jones, as great as he is and as impactful as he could be, he's probably not hitting numbers like that. Honestly, though, Mitch, I think Travis Kelsey is a good bet there at plus twelve hundred. Because Kelsey is the yes. target for Mahomes. If he racks up a hundred, you know, twelve catches, hundred seventy-two tuds, I mean, he could have a very good case for Super Bowl MVP. So I would actually kind of lean Travis Kelsey on that one, considering he's the third highest player and he's plus twelve hundred. I like that bet too as well, and I think that's probably the right one. I'm just taking. <laughs> I'm going no, out. Little, I'm going a yeah, little bit absolutely. out. Yeah, but I think that your Kelsey pick is actually the right one. I think that's a very good one. Um, now we're going to get into what the gambling world calls exotic props. And this is, this is the fun ones with the national anthem and the Gatorade and everything. So right now, national anthem, the over under set on 124 and a half seconds. Just over two minutes, just over two minutes. I'm taking the over. Wait, I got it. Wait, Chris Stapleton singing the national anthem. I believe I'm looking at, I was looking it up right now to make I believe- sure I knew who was going to be singing, but it is Chris Stapleton who, okay. by the way, uh, this, oh. this fan, this podcast is a big fan of Chris Stapleton. We are my, we, we my, pro Chris Stapleton podcast here. So that'll be excellent. My favorite vocalist right now, my favorite voice um, possibly of all time, but he, he has a really good way of keeping things extremely entertaining and succinct. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to go under here by just a shade. I'm going to take the under at 124 and a half. I would, I would, I would agree with you because he, he'll, he'll hit the notes. He'll, he'll let it play when it needs to play, but he won't, he won't overstay his welcome. He's so, not, yeah, I'm he's with not, you. yeah, he's not doing the big overzealous performance mm-hmm. here. So yeah, yeah, I like the under. Like here. it. Coin toss. Both set at plus 100. I mean, Tails never fails. Yeah, I think I'm going to go tails too. Yeah, that's probably the least exciting exotic prop that we have. <laughs> um, halftime show props over or under eight and a half songs. Oh, I'd have to look in how many they've done before. Like typically, I feel like that seems six kind of a s- lot, but I feel like six to seven is usually the money zone for them. Like for five to seven. Yeah, oh, but then they'll do like twenty seconds of one song. Like they'll just do a chorus, and then like are they yeah. counting that? You know, it's a medley. Case, yeah. Then maybe it's eight. I'm gonna say over. I'll go over. Rihanna's got a lot of hits. She'll uh, she, yeah, she'll, she she'll, she'll do a lot. I'm gonna say she over. does. I think I'm gonna go under, but yeah. um. I and just because eight and a half seems like a lot to me, it does. It does seem like a big number. That's for sure. Gatorade bath, Dallin. Gatorade bath, and this is the last uh, exotic prop that we have here right now. The favorite, yellow or green at one sixty five, orange at plus three hundred, blue at plus four hundred, red pink plus four fifty, clear or water at plus seven fifty, purple at plus seven fifty, and then. 
no Gatorade bath at plus 1200. Oh, which seems not likely at all. So, no. um, I think I'm going blue at plus 400. I like okay. blue at plus 400. I think now a lot of people want to take the color of the team that's playing, but I think that blue is, I mean, it's one of the superior Gatorade flavors anyway. True. True. Might as well take blue at plus 400 here. That is fair, Mitch. I'm going to go with orange, which was like what? Plus 320? Plus 300. 300. Plus 300. Uh, that is what the Chiefs dumped on Andy Reid in their last Super Bowl win. So oh. maybe that's a tease for you, but that's why I'm going orange. Okay. I like it. I like it. Did a little so, yeah, research those... on that one. How you like that? <laughs> <laughs> I like it. I love it. Prop bets are all about research. Uh, exotic props, especially all about research. You have to know what's yep. going on historically. Right. With the weird shit that you no know, one else pays attention to. Mm-hmm. And I love it. So um, <laughs> if you're feeling ballsy, put down an exotic prop bet. I love it. There you go. There you go. That's great stuff, Mitch. We always love those. It's always fun to look at those little prop bets and uh, the little quirky things about the Super Bowl that we love. And we'll we'll get into more of this uh, on the other side. We'll hit our mid-roll here and take a quick break to take a couple minutes. Uh, but when we come back, we will do our Sports Hour draft for the week. This week, it is the best Super Bowls of all time. We'll follow that up with 10 Super Bowl storylines and then our picks for the big game. So stick around and we'll be right back. Sports hour today. We appreciate you wherever you're listening, but if you haven't already, we recommend you check us out and give us a listen on anchor. Anchor allows us to provide the best product to you. You can go support the sports hour and become a permanent part of the show. Like my saint of a mother, Sammy and my father, David did. You can even leave us voice messages with your thoughts and opinions that we can use on the show. Prove to us that you know better than me and Mitchmo. Moral of the story, people. Be more like Sammy and David. Go find us at anchor.fm slash the sports hour guys and become a part of the conversation. What the hell are you waiting for? Welcome back in to the sports hour with Mitch Moe and Dallin. Thank you so much for tuning in live with us on YouTube if you are tuning in with us. And thanks so much for listening to the podcast form of this show. Because we are live on YouTube, I do have to uh, acknowledge a comment. Um, hey, Dad. Yes. How you doing? So The great David Dodd. Be more like Sammy and David, guys. That's the Go. moral of the story. Yes, go join. Be a part of the show on Anchor. Uh, we would love to have you. And uh, we appreciate you listening, hanging out, watching live if you are. Like uh, like Mitch said, it's good to be here. Super Bowl time. This is just this is a fun podcast. And I can't wait for this next segment. No, this will be this will be one of our favorite drafts I think we've ever done. Yes. One of our favorite drafts. Now, I'm very excited about this one. We've been doing drafts every week here on the podcast Back and forth, a little competition between Mitch and myself. And this week, in honor of the Super Bowl, we are drafting the best Super Bowls of all time. And listen, 56 Super Bowls in, there have been some fantastic ones. There have been some duds. But this gives us the opportunity to look at those 
Uh, it's those Super Bowls that were truly special, those moments that were iconic that we'll never forget. And uh, Mitch, this is a long list of possibilities. We will not, I, I want to say this first up, we will not cover nearly all of the ones that deserve to be mentioned because there are some great Super Bowls that we've had. We're only going to be able to talk about 10 here today, but uh, I'm excited to get into this exercise and see uh, where you where you went, where I went, and uh, maybe where we differed on some of these. Yeah, absolutely. I'm so excited to see this. Can't All wait right. to get into it. Okay, so uh, let's begin. I don't remember who went first last week. I think I did. You did. You did. We did... Last week, I definitely remember the list that we did. Totally remember. Um, it's definitely it's definitely there. So I know that I definitely went first when I it was picked... uh, worst fan bases. Yes, that's right. Thank you. Um, yes, and uh, no, yeah, you went first, right? Because you picked uh, the Dallas Cowboys. So there you yeah. go. Um, all right. So I will go first here. Best Super Bowls. Of all time, Mitch. Oh, shoot. I did not want to go first here. This is like, where do you start? Where do you start on a list like this? I don't know. I'm not I tell mean, you. <laughs> there are some great Super Bowls. I don't know if there's one that stands above the rest. So I am going to go with one of the craziest endings to a Super Bowl we have seen and a Fantastic game against two teams in the peak of their primes. I'm going Super Bowl 49. Mm. Super Bowl 49, New England, Seattle. New England intercepts the pass at the goal line. This is the Malcolm Butler play back in 20, uh, what, 2015 after the 2014 season. Malcolm Butler picks it off at the goal line. They don't run the ball with Marshawn. Uh, I mean, and even beyond that, I mean, there are crazy moments in this game. I, I think I think about that moment and how crazy it is that we forget that two plays earlier, they have a fourth down where Russell Wilson heaves it on the sideline to Jerron Curse. By the way, do you remember who the hell that is? Because none of you do. He did literally nothing in his career, but goes up for the ball. It bobbles. It bounces off his body like twice, and he still comes down and catches it on fourth down game winning drive like Super Bowl's over if you don't catch it. I mean, that's just an incredible play, but it doesn't matter because two plays later, you know, Malcolm Butler seals the game. So that's just an incredible game. And again, two just I mean, the Seahawks at the top, that was their peak of the Seahawks and, and Tom Brady and the Patriots, what they were. I mean, that's just great matchup there. I think I'll go that one in number one. That's a great pick. That's a great pick. And everyone's going to still continue to ask the question, why didn't you just give the ball to Marshawn? Yes. Just give the ball to Marshawn and the game sealed. Yep. I, I mean, it great, great pick at number one. Um, <clears throat> man, this is tough. I think what I'm going to do is for my number one pick, I'm going Super Bowl 42. Oh, yep. Okay. Giants, Pats. Yeah. Um, that was the other one, Mitch. That was the other one I was debating about, honestly. That was the one I just felt like I don't know if I could pass up. So, I yeah, that's a good call. The helmet, I mean, the the, the close game, 18-0 and Pats coming into the game. Wild card, Giants coming into the game. Eli Manning against Tom Brady. The pick seems clear. Somehow the Giants keep it very, very close. 
They keep it close all game. You have the helmet catch with David Tyree in the middle of the field. Eli inexplicably escaping that pass and throwing that ball down to Incredible. David for the helmet catch. And then the corner out to Plaxico Burris for a game-winning touchdown. Um, just a an, an exceptional, exceptional Super Bowl. Um, Super Bowl 40. I love that. Number one overall pick for me. Okay. Yeah. I'm on board with that one. Makes sense. Back to back here, though. Back to back here. And you know what? I'm going a different route. I'm going a different route. I'm going Super Bowl one. Oh. I'm going okay. Super Bowl. And you know want to know why? It wasn't a good game. It was a 35 no. game, right? Packers blew him out. But you know what? It was the beginning of a tradition. It was right. the beginning of the greatest tradition in sports, which is the Super Bowl. And I think that if Super Bowl one were left off this list in any sort of capacity, it would be a tragedy, tragedy oh. that Super Bowl one was left off the beginning of in a great American tradition, Super Bowl one going on my list. Okay. Uh, yeah, that's fair, Mitch. Uh, and honestly, I'm going to be happy to let you pick that one. Uh, it was not on my list, but I respect for the history. Uh, you know, I, it's monumental, right? The, uh, the first AFL NFL championship, right? That now is birthed into this create this amazing thing that we know today. It's awesome. So yeah, yeah. love it, Mitch. Love it. All right. I am back up here. Uh, this is tough. I'm going to go. I'm trying to avoid just only picking Patriots Super Bowls. And it's hard because the Patriots have been in a lot of them. Uh, and most of the times, Actually, basically every Super Bowl they've been in has been incredibly entertaining. So uh, they don't play in duds. That's for sure. But uh, I am going to go with my second pick in a different direction. I'm not going to pick the Patriots. I'm going Super Bowl 43. Pittsburgh and Arizona. Steelers mm. 27. Cardinals 23. This is... James uh James Harrison's like 99 yard interception return, right? This is uh Big Ben to Santonio Holmes in the corner. And I think that catch in particular, Mitch, that moment with Santonio Holmes, that catch, I, I don't I don't know if it's you. I, I'd be curious if our listeners feel the same way. I don't think about that catch as one of those all-time great catches. And then you watch it back and you think about the waning seconds of the Super Bowl game on the line. You're making an acrobatic catch like that. And never mind the throw by Big Ben, who puts it literally the only place that his guy could get it in the back of the end zone and still be able to keep the feet down. It is like a perfect play at the perfect moment. It really is incredible. And I think that's a super underrated Super Bowl. So I'm going Super Bowl 43. I like that. I like that a lot. And a lot of people forget that that play came on the heels of Larry Fitzgerald's 62-yard touchdown run. To, to give the Cardinals the lead late in the right. game. Like a lot of people forget, like the Cardinals had this one locked up and Big Ben and the Steelers went down, drove down the field. He makes the incredible throw. Santonio Holmes makes the incredible catch. Um, by the way, Santonio Holmes, another candidate for Super Bowl, yeah. uh, forgotten Super Bowl MVP there. Um, good one. But it was, uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely an all time Super Bowl moment um, that I feel like is maybe just a hair underlooked yep and a I hair agree. underrated and uh so yeah i like that pick a lot okay i uh, love it mitch i'm gonna go here back to back i got another pick so i'm gonna secure this one we haven't talked about it yet 
it's obviously on this list, so I'll get it out of the way. 28 to 3. I'm going Super Bowl 51, New England mm-hmm. 34, Atlanta 28 in overtime. New England comes back from down 28 to 3, the first overtime in Super Bowl history, the greatest collapse, the greatest comeback, whatever you want to call it. That game, uh, the game itself until like the fourth quarter was not very good, right? Because Atlanta's blowing them out. And then the third quarter, in the third quarter, it's 28-9. And you're like, okay, New England maybe making it interesting. The fourth quarter on was incredible watching, you know, it, it happen and knowing they're going to do this. They're going to pull this off and we're just watching it happen. Uh, the rest of the game maybe wasn't great, but uh, still, I mean, just an incredible Super Bowl, an incredible moment. So I'll I'll go for it. I'll go number three here. I mean, it was yeah, it was the greatest comeback in Super Bowl history. Um, it'll be hard to top that one. Down twenty five in yep. the third quarter, it's going to be hard to top that one, unless we forget the incredible catch by Julian Edelman. Incredible oh, yeah. catch. Speaking I mean, of incredible catches, absolutely. I mean, that was. I was. I I don't know if it was luck. I don't know if he actually knew what he was doing the entire way down, but damn it, was it incredible? <laughs> and lest we uh, we'd be remiss to not mention the Julian Edelman catch when talking about Super Bowl Fifty One. So yeah, ah, that's a great pick at number three. That's a great pick at number three. Ben, um, you're back up. I I am. Oh, I'm gonna go with Super Bowl three. I'm gonna go with Super Bowl three. Okay. New York Jets, Bar- Baltimore Colts. Um, there was a lot of talk about is the NFL the superior league? Is the AFL the inferior league? Broadway Joe Namath came into that game and went, I guarantee a Super Bowl victory. Joe Namath, not a great career, by the way, but probably the great one of the greatest characters, most charismatic people we've ever seen in NFL history comes in and says, I guarantee a victory in this upcoming Super Bowl. And damn it, he went out and delivered. Of course, there's the uh there's the old uh myth that he sold his soul to the devil for a Super Bowl victory. And of course, I and I don't know if there's any truth to that or not. But the fact that a quarterback can go out guarantee victory, then go out and deliver makes it a great game in itself. It was 16 to 7. It wasn't a high scoring affair. But the 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 story and the mythology behind Super Bowl three makes it one of the greatest Super Bowls of all time in my mind. So I have to go Super Bowl three here at number three. Okay, yeah, I think that's fair. Listen, certainly, as you said, one of the most important Super Bowls uh, in terms of what it meant. Uh, Obviously, the infamous Joe Namath at this point, that that moment is iconic. One of the most iconic moments in NFL history, guaranteeing the Super Bowl and then pulling it off. And as you said, with uh, the AFL NFL sort of uh, competition there, what that meant uh, for the flip of the coin there. I think that's uh, I like that. I like that. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, definitely. Okay. Um. I think I'm going to go. So my fourth pick. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now you've got There's so far, Mitch has got Super Bowl 42, which is Giants over the perfect Patriots team. Super Bowl one and Super Bowl three. Yeah. So I, I, I went history there for a little bit. <laughs> I went history there for that. I'm going to go a little bit more modern here for this. Okay. One. I'm going to go Super Bowl 52 Eagles Patriots. Yep. Yep. That's a very um, good one. It's on. It's on the short list. Yeah, I mean, 
the the Philly special play. Um, Nick Foles, the story of him coming in and leading that team to a Super Bowl victory as a backup quarterback. Um, this is where kind of the mythology of Big Dick Nick came mm-hmm. into fruition. Um, it, it was just an incredible story, a great team, a great game. Um, it was really just who outthought who in that game at, on the field and on the sideline. Um, I think it's one of the greatest Super Bowls ever played. So I have to go Super Bowl 52, Eagles Pats. Yeah, uh, I think that's completely fair, Mitch. What uh, I think the second highest scoring Super Bowl ever, I believe it would be uh, probably only behind uh, Niners Chargers, right? The Steve Young 49 points, because that one was pretty high. Uh, probably pretty close, but I mean, for, 41-33, so a high-scoring affair. I mean, and Tom Brady in the loss through for like five, 400-plus yards in the Super Bowl. I mean, just the numbers in that game are crazy, and the story of Nick Foles and that Eagles team is is an incredible one. So, yeah, mm. that one was on my short list for sure. I'm, I'm glad you picked it. I'm glad you. I'm glad they got in there. Right. Right. Love that. All right. I'm up, Mitch. I got my final two picks here in our best Super Bowls of all time. Uh, so far, my top three, uh, Super Bowl 49, that's Patriots over Seahawks, Super Bowl 43, Steelers over Cardinals, and Super Bowl 51, uh, Patriots over Falcons. I'm going to go back a bit on my fourth pick here, Mitch, and I'm going to go Super Bowl 23, Niners mm. and Bengals a classic Super Bowl uh, in the 80s where the uh, 1989, the Niners take down the Bengals, uh, score 14 points in the final quarter, including a game-winning drive by Joe Montana uh, to get it done in just a classic Joe Montana game and a classic performance by him. Uh, this was a, a great back-and-forth battle. And uh, I wanted to, I wanted to, you know, there's a lot of really good in the last 20 years. We've had a lot of really good Super Bowls, and you could point to again with every Patriots Super Bowl has basically been a good one. So a uh, lot of good options here in the last couple decades. I wanted to bring it back a little bit. So we'll go Super Bowl 23. I like that pick a lot. I like that pick a lot. Um, a very, uh, not, I guess he wasn't young because he coached until he was 80s. But Dick LeBeau. The, the, mm-hmm. the one of the great defensive coordinators of all time was the defensive coordinator in Cincinnati at that point. Um, you had the Bill Walsh matchup. Um, it was just yeah. a, a, a fantastic game, a matchup of J- two West yeah. Coast offenses because right. Bill Walsh came from that Bengals system. Um, great, great, great Super Bowl. Uh, love yeah. that pick that J- this one gets mentioned. Jerry Rice wins Super Bowl MVP in this one with 11 catches and 215 yards in a touchdown. Oh, so I uh, love seeing that. Yeah, Jerry Rice is stud. All right, I got one more left, Mitch, and uh, this is a this is kind of a tough call. I've got I've got two games I'm really debating to two Super Bowls that actually took place within a number just a couple years of each other, and I'm trying to decide which moment I feel is maybe more iconic. So I'm going to go here. This is a tough call. I really wanted to, I really wanted to pick this other one, but I'm going to go Super Bowl 34 Rams over Titans. Damn it. Damn it. Just short. And one, that's just an incredible game. Greatest show on turf in the Rams, right? This is 
this is the beginning of their run, right? This is their first Super Bowl in three years, right? They they later go on to play in Super Bowl 36 against the Patriots. But, uh, you know, this is the beginning of that era. And uh, they faced a 16-win Titans team. That was an extremely tough test. Uh, Steve McNair, uh, you know, balling out in that game. And, and, and for Dyson to come up just short there at the end, that's just an iconic Super Bowl moment. So for me, I'm the game was great, but that moment and also the the you know greatest show on turf Rams. I mean, that's just a story in the NFL that era. So they had to get them in here. Super Bowl thirty four. That's the one you wanted, huh? That was the one I wanted. That was I thought well, I, I could keep right waiting. Then. I thought I could keep waiting and waiting and waiting <laughs> and waiting. There it went. <sighs> I trusted my gut. And that's I a went great with the pick. One. That's a great hey. pick. That is a great so. pick. Yeah. Man. All right. Yeah. I mean, just Andre Dyson coming up just short was just, yeah. Ugh, heartbreaking. Crazy. Crazy. Well, okay. So now that that one's out, I'm between two. Mm. Both have iconic moments. Yeah. Hmm. Okay. I'm going to go Super Bowl 25. Yep. Super Bowl 25, Bills, Giants, the wide right game. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's... There, there's it's it's hard like obviously usually iconic moments have like some sort of feel good story behind them and this one just doesn't. This is kind not, of a not for Buffalo. That's for not sure. Not for Buffalo. <laughs> um, but like that's the only story behind it though. Really, yeah. like there's not a right. story behind this iconic moment for New York. It's only for Buffalo, and so um, you know, it was it was a tough break for Scott Norwood missing the 47 yarder to end the game. Um, a lot of people put the blame on Scott Norwood, but you got to remember the era that we were in. We got to remember uh, the type of kicker that he was. 47 was about on the edge of his range, and yep. he nailed that football. It would have been good from about 55. I mean, he put a lot of leg behind that one, just pushed it just wide right. Um, so the wide right game, Super Bowl 25. Um, one yep. of the all-time great endings or all-time worst endings. I don't know how, you know, depending <laughs> on how you look at it, um, but that's going to be my fifth pick of the draft. Yeah, that's a great one, Mitch. You know, Bill Parcells led Giants team. I think, uh, isn't uh, is it Bill Belichick on that staff as the defensive coordinator, if he I remember right? He was the DC for both Super Bowl wins for them, 86 yeah. and 90. Yeah. Yeah. And this uh, this starts just a horrific streak for for Buffalo, right, where they will go on to make three more Super Bowls and lose them all. So this is sort of the beginning of what is just a, an awful stretch for for Buffalo there. So, uh, yeah, that's a good one. That was definitely on my short list, Mitch. Uh, I like that. Uh, all right. That's the top five. I, I want to get into our honorable mention some of the other ones we talked about in a second but let's recap our top fives here for the folks best super bowls of all time draft uh mitch read your top five so i'm gonna do super bowl 42 giants eagles or giants pats excuse me uh super bowl one green bay kansas city super bowl three the jets and the colts Super Bowl 52, Philly and New England, and Super Bowl 25, Buffalo and the Giants. 
I respect that you chose two Patriot Super Bowls, but you made sure to do ones that they lost. So uh, no Patriot Super Bowl <laughs> wins for you on there. Uh, I love, That's I see right. what you've done there. Uh, my top five, Super Bowl 49, Pats over Seahawks, Super Bowl 43, Steelers over Cardinals, Super Bowl 51, Pats over Falcons, Super Bowl 23, Niners over Bengals, and Super Bowl 34, Rams over Titans. Mitch, honorable mentions, the one that I was debating about there between Super Bowl 34, Super Bowl 32. John Elway finally gets Mm. the Super Bowl win against the young shot Brett Favre and the Packers, who were just on a roll at that time. Uh, and the great game, they, you know, the, the iconic play where he, you know, first you've got Terrell Davis, who is having migraines and blindness issues during the Super Bowl, can't see, still goes and wins Super Bowl MVP, right? But then you have the play where John Elway has to run for the first down. He's like 38 years old. He dives, he gets hit, he spins midair, picks up the first. I mean, that's just a that that moment. That's what I was thinking of during that. Like, ah, oh, could I pass on that moment? Went with Kevin Dyson instead. But uh, I thought that was that was one I, I I wanted to put in there. Yeah, I mean the 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 one that I was debating on the fifth pick between that and Super Bowl five was. Super Bowl 47, Ravens Niners. The Harbaugh uh, Bowl. That's the Harbaugh underrated. Bowl. That's really a good Super Bowl. Very good Super Bowl. It has the lights moment, the power outage moment. <laughs> yes. Um, you know, underrated Super Bowl. The other one that I was actually also considering was Super Bowl 37, Pats Panthers. Oh, um, 38. 38. Yeah. Or 38, excuse me. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's there's another yep. one there. Yeah, 38. Um, I mean, great finish, game-winning Super Bowl, one of Vinatieri's signature moments. We got to see Janet Jackson's titty. Um, it was awesome. That is true. So, that that one was on my list, and not just as a Panthers homer, but because that was a very, like, nondescript first half. There were, like, 30 points scored in that fourth quarter. Like, it was an oh, offensive yeah. explosion at the end. Absolutely, There were yeah. three scores in the final two minutes of the game. Uh, like three minutes of the game. So, I mean, that was like an incredible rush at the end of uh, just a flurry of a game. Uh, and then obviously the Vinatieri win. Uh, so, yeah, that that would definitely made my list. Uh, the other one that made my short, short list that I didn't end up picking was Super Bowl 13, Pittsburgh over Dallas. Uh, that was one of those classic. They played a lot in that era. That was one of those classic matchups between those two teams. Super Bowl 13. One I thought of, and I just wanted to get your thoughts on, Mitch, do you think down the road Super Bowl 56 will get any consideration? Because last year was a very good game. Game-winning drive by Matthew Stafford at the end. You know, you've got some great Hall of Fame players in this game, icons like uh, Aaron Donald. You know, who knows what some of these younger players will become. That one, like, when I was looking back at it, I didn't put it in my short list, but it was on there of, like, you know, maybe down the road with a little more hindsight, we might look back at that one as a really pretty good Super Bowl. You know what I would dub that one, like, 12 years down the road when these guys are at the end of their careers or retired or anything? The Baby Bowl. Mm. I mean, there was a lot of really young, talented players that were in that game. And, you know, obviously the veterans had their contributions. You mentioned Aaron Donald, Matthew Stafford, um, but like a really young contributions from young players. And it might be a Super Bowl we look back on that gives us a little bit of uh, foreshadowing as to what the NFL has to hold for us for the next 10, 15 years. Um, it, it would be one of those games that I would look back on fondly in that regard. So, um, I think that, I, I think that it'll have, it'll have, uh, you know, 
fond consideration, but I, yeah. um, right now I, I don't think it's, it's a top 10, maybe not even, maybe not even a top 15 Super Bowl of all time, but I think yeah. history will smile on Super Bowl 56. Sure. Yeah. It was a pretty good game last year and I would expect much of the same this year with Super Bowl 57 between the Eagles and the Chiefs. That's our sports hour draft. So we're going to dive into uh, our full Super Bowl 57 preview here with 10 storylines on the game. We did this last year in our Super Bowl preview. We'll go back and forth, Mitch and I, with the uh, uh, five storylines each. Just things we're interested in about the Super Bowl. It could be about the game. It could be about things outside of the game. But just storylines we're interested in coming up this Sunday in Arizona, Mitch. And uh, I will, I'll, I'll go ahead and start us off here. And I think my, my first storyline here is one of the most interesting things. I think looking at these two teams is they have both got to this very high level, both number one seeds, but they both got here very different ways. And I think specifically back to their off seasons where they basically did polar opposite things. You had the Kansas city chiefs coming off an AFC championship loss, stretch of success, trade away their best offensive weapon in Tyreek Hill uh, in the midst of a competitive window. Right. And it was pretty shocking. Obviously it's a money thing. They didn't want to pay you. You're paying Patrick Mahomes half a billion dollars. You know, you got to cut money somewhere. But that's a bold move for a team that was competing in this moment and felt like we this is a good time to move off of this huge piece of our offense. They move off of that wide receiver weapon, and yet here they are back in the Super Bowl. Offense doesn't miss a beat. Mahomes is probably MVP again. And the Chiefs made it happen without that number one weapon. And meanwhile, on the other side, you have the Philadelphia Eagles who saw their team last year and said, we need to get a number one option. We need to go find a guy. So what do they do? They go trade a first round pick for AJ Brown and they go call the Titans and they get an, a, a, an asset there at wide receiver to elevate their team. And look what it's done for that offense. It's led them to the Super Bowl today. And I just find that juxtaposition really interesting. Now, obviously these are teams that are built very differently at different stages of development, right? You have Patrick Mahomes, who's a well-established quarterback, MVP. He's got the mega deal. He is the guy. So team building wise, you're in a different spot than you were with Jalen Hurts, where last offseason we were still debating whether he was the guy moving forward. Should they look somewhere else still? Can you really, you know, this was a trial year in a lot of ways to see could he elevate his play with the weapons around him? And he did. And I just think that's fascinating in the NFL where, uh, you know, we see such a copycat league at times and everyone following trends. And yet here's two teams who went about off seasons completely differently, did the exact opposite things. And yet both of those decisions were successful and it's led them here to the Super Bowl. Yeah. I mean, you, you bring up a great point with the, you know, how different these guys, these teams, these organizations handled their off seasons and, how they built these teams and uh, the different the different scenarios that their quarterbacks were in, right? Mahomes more established, Hurts still a lot of question marks surrounding him, and that's why on this next storyline that I want to bring up is um, is Howie Roseman the best GM in all of football? I think mm, that yep. this one will tell because you got to remember that after the twenty twenty season, man, they blew this thing up. 
You know, they they fired Doug Peterson. They traded Carson Wentz. It seemed like a complete reset. We weren't talking about the Eagles being competitors in the near future at all. They take the they take the risk on Jalen Hurts. They go and draft Devonta Smith. They make a trade for AJ Brown. Um, Miles Sanders becomes a more prominent role in the offense, and they find a way to actually load manage him by supplementing carries with other backs and. Um, the defense continues to build. They see, they bring in these hardy veterans along with the guys like Hassan Reddick, who are still young, promising players. And they built, they rebuilt this thing in record time. And so I think that when we look back on the 2022, 2023 Eagles, we're going to have to look back and say, was, did Howie Roseman do a masterful job? of constructing this rebuild in what is seemingly record time. Yeah. I mean, I I'm, I'm hundred percent with you, Mitch. And I was actually thinking about this. We, if you don't already, you should view the Philadelphia Eagles as one of the best organizations and franchises in the NFL to be, to, to have gone like, they don't even need to win on Sunday to have gone to two Super Bowls in the last five years with different quarterbacks, different head coaches to pull that off is incredible. I mean, you could go back through the books. It probably hasn't happened at all. If not very few times. I mean, this is remarkable. Like you said, the turnaround that they've done, but I think that just points to the organization itself, the stability there with that franchise. And yes, credit to Howie Roseman, and that organization for bringing in a guy like that who's making the right moves, getting the right people there. You know, they nail like head coaching hire like Nick Sirianni, right? They bring in great coordinators that are getting head coach, you know, interviews all across the league. Uh, you know, I don't really think I haven't, I guess, thought of the Eagles as one of those top NFL franchises, I, but I think we should be. There'd be no reason not to after, I, after I, what they've pulled off. I just pick my brain. The only one that comes off, the top of my head is teams that have done that before are the 49ers. Yeah. Bill Walsh with Joe Montana and then mm -hmm. George Seifert with Steve right. Young right. in the span of five years. And that and, and how do we I don't view think those niners that, from those days? How do we view yeah. those niners as one of the greatest stretches of success in you know what I mean? And so there you go. I yeah. That, that yeah, that's the only yeah. Wow, that's a great so, point. I, I hadn't yeah. even thought about it. Yeah, that's incredible. Um I can I go two times in a row? Because yeah, yeah. I, I got another one absolutely. I think that's gonna lead us into some other stuff here. Um look, it's the Kelsey Bowl. Yes, it's the Kelsey <laughs> Bowl. We got two brothers here, man. Yes. J Jason Kelsey playing center for the Philadelphia Eagles, Travis Kelsey tied in for the Kansas City Chiefs. That poor mother. Uh, who what sideline is she gonna sit on? Hopefully <laughs> they put her dead center down the middle in a suite with all the comfort in the world because yes. her two little boys are going to be going to bat, going to war with each other on that field on Sunday. So um, look, I, I think it's always like we, we had a lot of fun with the Harbaugh bowl that we talked about earlier um, with that same, with that Niners Baltimore super bowl. I think it was 47 is what we said it was. Um, but like, this is a different level. These are two brothers that are fighting against each other on the field, blood, sweat, and tears. 
Um, two brothers that do, act, by the way, have an awesome podcast together, by the yeah. way. I yes. don't know if you've ever heard it. it, it it's a great heard, podcast. Go get I, I see clips of it. I don't, I haven't listened to the full podcast, but I've seen clips of it. They do a pretty good job. And you know, the NFL script writers did them well, right? They start this podcast this year, right? This year they start this podcast. And then at the end of the season, Oh, look at us. We're in the Super Bowl. That's some great marketing for your podcast there. Love to see it, right? <laughs> yeah, it's fantastic. And so I I think that that clearly, I mean, that might be low-hanging fruit, but I think is clearly no. one of the big one of the big storylines of of the Super Bowl is the the brotherly matchup between yes. the Kelsey brothers. Yeah, Mitch, and I think along those lines, I'll 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 stick in that same vein and I'll think one of and I'll say one of the most important storylines really from this Super Bowl, in my opinion, is the fact that this is the first time we have two black starting quarterbacks in the Super Bowl. And you mentioned mm. we talked about Doug Williams as the forgotten Super Bowl MVP. He was the first black quarterback to win a Super Bowl. But this is the first time in NFL history we've had two starting quarterbacks as black men. And that is significant, uh, especially for the quarterback position and the way that it has evolved over the years, uh, the way that these guys are, are still viewed. I mean, I saw just uh, this last week quotes from the senior bowl with Jalen hurts a few years ago, being asked by reporters if he was working out at wide receiver, right? Because we still couldn't see an athletic black guy at quarterback. It was still the, Oh, well you could play wide receiver. Maybe you'll go tight end. You know, that's not that far removed. So I think that that is a really cool moment for the NFL this weekend uh, to see that between two great players, two great young players in this league. Uh, and we talked about this year, especially in the playoffs, very much feeling like the new era, right? We reached the conference championship and there's no Brady. There's no Rodgers. There's none of these old guys. It's Burrow. It's Mahomes. It's Hurts. It's uh, it's new faces. It's a new league. And I think this is almost emblematic of that. And, and I'm very excited about that. So, yeah, no, I mean, it, it, a great milestone, I think, for for the NFL and professional sports. Um, surprised that it hasn't happened before already. Yeah. But, you know, it's where exactly. we, you know, but that's where we're at. So um, what happens when you have a lot of Tom Brady? So yeah, I, guess, <laughs> I guess so. Yeah, Tom Brady screwed it all up. Exactly. Tom Brady screwed it all up. Um, look, I, I think that there is another storyline here the, talking about talent. Um, is is Nick Sirianni really primed to be a Super Bowl winning yeah, Super Bowl winning head coach? A lot of people have said that he has ridden great talent throughout this entire year, and that may be true to some ex extent. And I think that's true for any head coaches, ex you know, any sure. head coach is you have to have great talent on your team to get to a Super Bowl, right? Um, but to, for people to suggest that Nick Sirianni is here only because of the talent on the field, I think is a little bit disrespectful to Nick Sirianni. And I think what he has done um, up, uh, on schemes on both sides of the ball, what he's been able to, the leadership that he's brought to that team, he's a little bit of an awkward guy, but you know what? A lot of the great coaches are awkward guys, right? <laughs> well, have you ever seen a Bill Belichick, press conference i mean guys yep. just awkward he does you know he doesn't want to talk to anyone and i think that fits just great in the nfl because he's all about business and i think that nick sirianni has a great opportunity to prove to the rest of the world and the rest of the sports world that he is deserving of being in this position as a potential super bowl winning head coach I love that. You know, it's uh it's a big stage for Nick Sirianni, right? In his first Super Bowl as a young head coach, but uh he's a guy that's brought a lot of energy. You see him on the sidelines getting hyped and 
you know, you could tell this team is locked in with him and, you know, this will be a challenge. This will be a test and it will be interesting to see how he handles that, especially juxtaposed to the other side and an experienced guy like Andy Reid, who has been to Super Bowls, has won one. That pressure is going to be off him in a lot of ways, right? This time around and uh, especially compared to Nick Sirianni. So I think that's uh, it's a great point there. Uh, Mitch, I think one of the biggest on the field things I'm most interested in this game is uh, ultimately, I think a lot of this game is going to come down to Kansas City's playmakers. And can they make plays, right? We know Patrick Mahomes. We know what he's capable of. Uh, but we've also seen him have to carry the load in a Super Bowl, and it was awful. Now, that was in large part because of a porous offensive line against that Buccaneers team. But still, Mahomes needs help. You know, guys just can't do it by themselves. And we talked about them moving off of Tyreek Hill. Despite that, Mitch, this team was number one in offensive DVOA. They were number one in offense, according to PFF. They had the number one scoring offense in the league, averaging 29.2 points per game. And they had the number two passing PFF grade. They're number one in basically every passing stat because of Mahomes. This team was prolific in the passing offense with whoever it needed to be. Marquez Valdez, Scantling, obviously. Travis Kelsey is a huge part of this. Juju Smith-Schuster, Miko Hardman when he was healthy, Justin Watson. I mean, they were throwing out random guys in the AFC Championship game because of health. But no matter who, who they've thrown out there this season, it has worked. But can that happen again this week? Can you pull that off again? When you don't have a Tyreek Hill that you can rely on, when you only have a Travis Kelsey you rely on, and if the Eagles can figure out a way to shut him down and say, you got to beat us with somebody else, will those guys step up? Are they ready for the occasion? That is, that's going to matter, right? Because Mahomes can make the plays. He can buy the time. He can put the throws on the money, but these guys got to make plays. And that is a clear disadvantage for the Chiefs in this one. Uh, obviously, Philly is stacked with playmakers on offense, but it is the weakness for the Chiefs. They trust Mahomes to overcome all. And uh, obviously, that's going to be a big storyline heading into this game. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that we've been given plenty of evidence that tra that Patrick Mahomes can be just fine without the big playmakers. and that he can turn really anyone into a playmaker right with his arm his talent his, his ability to direct traffic and when he's on the run um but I, I think that you bring up a good point that none of these guys are proven the way that Tyreek Hill is proven um as far as making a as make as far as making a big play goes and that this is going to be a huge huge test to see if um they can still stay on top of that hill without a guy like Tyreek Hill, a true number one, if you will, um, in that offense, because I don't think they really have that right now. I think that they have a lot of good number twos. They don't have a, a great number one like Tyreek Hill. So I think you bring up a good point with that. Um, going on the opposite side of the football, Dallin, I think that it's important to remember that the Eagles defensive line is absolutely stacked. And yes. we're talking about we're talking about a Patrick Mahomes that has been playing on a hobbled ankle and he's going up against possibly the best front four in the NFL. 70 sacks by that Eagles defensive line this year. 
Hassan Reddick, Jason, uh, Javon Hargraves, Josh, or J- Josh Sweat, and Brandon Graham all finished double digits in sacks this year. They're coming after you. It's going to be aggressive. It's going to be physical. How do you handle that front four with the Chiefs offensive line and Patrick Mahomes' ability to navigate himself in and out of the pocket? That's going to be one of the big, big things we have to look at going into this game. Yeah, I mean, the trench battles on both sides are is going to be must-see TV, right? But I think specifically, as you pointed out, the D-line of Philly versus the offensive line of Kansas City, because unlike that Buccaneers Super Bowl a couple years ago, this is a much more talented offensive line and a healthier offensive line. So uh, the Chiefs boast a pretty good offensive line unit, but as you mentioned, Eagles are stacked. They had the number one pass rush PFF grade of any team in the NFL this year. They had the number two coverage PFF grade first in points in passing yards allowed uh, first in sacks, as you mentioned, with 76th in interceptions this year in the NFL. So this is a team that gets after the quarterback and limits the passing game against the number one passing offense in the league. So strength against strength on that side of the ball is going to be a hell of a matchup, Mitch. And speaking of strong, strong women, Mitch, Rihanna at the Super Bowl, the return of Riri. And I, first off, I got to, I got to apologize. I said the name wrong. It's Rihanna. Okay. I've seen in an interview that she goes by Rihanna and not Rihanna. Apparently we've all been pronouncing it wrong and she didn't want to correct us. So I'm going to refer to her as Rihanna through the rest of this, but I'm excited, Mitch. This is going to be a good Super Bowl. And listen, last year's halftime show, Dr. Dre, Snoop Dogg, Kendrick Lamar in LA classic. One of the best. We talked about it at length. That was great. Rihanna is going to be awesome. Okay. It might not be that, but it's going to be awesome. I got three things I want to see, Mitch. I got three songs I need from Rihanna. Let me know in the comments. If you're watching this live, if you're listening to later, let me know if I missed any. But these are the three songs I need from Riri on Sunday. I need Disturbia. Okay. I need Disturbia. You know that one. Bum, 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 bum. I mean, come yeah. on. We're just all rocking. We're bobbing at halftime. I'm eating my wings. I'm loving it. Okay. Mm, yeah. uh, don't okay. Uh, Speaking of that, don't stop the music. You know, please don't stop the music. music. Bow, 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 bow. Yeah. Okay. These are all like, yeah. okay, this is like high school Dallin being like, yeah, this is the songs I wanted. Oh, and then a classic. This is a slower one. Maybe this is like the, you know, the emotional, we get the spotlights on her little ballad, but the song Stay by Rihanna is a beautiful ballad. Rihanna doesn't get enough credit for how good of a singer she is. She's a great pop star. She makes the hits. She makes the dance music. It's fun. That song Stay is an incredible Rihanna track, incredible vocals. So I need a little intimate moment with Rihanna on stage singing that. That'd be awesome. Those are the three songs I need. I will, however, if I hear uh, Ponder Replay or if I hear Bitch Better Have My Money, I'm losing my shit. I'm I'm like, those are icing on the cake. I probably won't get those. So I understand but uh, if I hear any of those, I'm 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 ready to go. So you sound pretty hyped for Rihanna. By the way, I think she needs to go by Rihanna now. We we talked Rihanna about the Kelsey or Rihanna. I think she needs to go by Rihanna still. Okay. And I'll tell you why, because the Kelsey brothers, you know, their name isn't actually pronounced Kelsey. Oh. It's Kels. It's Kels. It's Kels. Huh. Their dad. Their dad 
lot yeah, when he would he was a I think he believes a police officer. They would call him Kelsey, and he never bothered to correct anyone. <laughs> so he just let it go, and now they've been known as the Kelsey family. When really their actual what? pronunciation of their name has been Kels this entire time. And it's worked out for wow. So I yeah. think that I think that Rihanna just needs to stick with Rihanna and just go, okay. hey, look, this is what people know me as. It's Rihanna, but people know me as Rihanna. I'm gonna go with that. I think that she just needs to ride with that one. Um, because it's worked out for her. Okay. It's worked yeah. out for her. That's She's fair. one of the biggest musical stars in the world. I think that she needs to just spread with that. Um do you have a collab that you would like to see, like a like a special? Oh yes, yeah. This is another come thing. Out. A special. I have one. I have one guest, and Rihanna has a lot of hits with a lot of different people. Um, the the one. Listen, I I think I've got two. The one that's most likely, I'm gonna say, is Jay Z. Okay. Yeah. Beyonce's already played. Jay Z's got you know, and they've got you know. You could do Run This Town. You could do uh, you could do a lot of stuff I'm with, run with this town yeah, tonight. You could do you could do a lot with Jay Z yeah. and Rihanna. So that one's more likely. But I would love to see Drake. Uh, she's got uh, yeah. some hits with Drake over the years, and obviously Drake is huge. So I mean, to have a special guest star of Drake at the Super Bowl would be awesome. But I'll say Jay Z would be the more likely one. What do you What do you got? I mean, Eminem is up okay. there. Yeah. Love the way um, you lie. Yeah. T.I. is up there. Oh, yeah. Live your life. Live your life. That's a classic. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, those okay. are those are kind of the ones that I, I was thinking yeah. of. But I, I like it. I like the Jay-Z one. I think Jay-Z appeals more than any of those other ones. He's a big said, name. Like, he's a very he's big, a big name. Yeah. Yeah. Jay, I think I think Jay-Z or Eminem would play really, really well yeah. in the Super Bowl for sure. Right. Sure. And, and Drake mind, actually would Drake would too because yes. he, you know it's a, he's a modern act and everything yeah. so. Keep in mind uh Jay-Z signed uh like Rihanna. Uh, I think helped her a lot in her career building coming up. So there's also obviously uh, outside of the collaboration side there's a lot of business ties and familiar ties with those two. So it would make sense. So that'll be fun. Rihanna at the Super Bowl, Mitch. Uh I am excited. And the first Apple Music Super Bowl, right? This is the first time this is a new deal Apple Music yeah. will curate, sponsor the Super Bowl halftime show and that will be different. They've they think they've done pretty good. We'll see how the show itself is, but good artist the first time around with Rihanna. We'll see how it continues. Yeah, yeah, it'll okay. be it'll be fantastic. One so more on... storyline, yes. One more storyline. Hmm. You know, I'm gonna go with something that's been sticking in my craw recently. I'm gonna go with this is the most pressure the NFL officiating crew has ever been under than right now. Hmm. And with all the scrutiny that we've seen NFL officiating go through over the last year, over the last couple years, we have legitimately the two best teams in the NFL right now in a game. And I think if there's a time to not screw this up, it's right now. <laughs> Do not screw this up. If you, I, I don't even care if the game takes 30 minutes longer because you have to get a call, call right. Make sure you get the call right. And I understand and that. And, and this is why I like human officiating and not robotic officiating or anything like that. Like what they're proposing at MLB baseball is because officiating is human error. Right. And it gives us something to talk about at the end of the day. 
However, they have to get this one right. Yep. They have to get this one right, and they, they cannot screw this one up. Um, it's It would be a tragedy if, if it ends or it is a, a certain call changes the outcome of a game. Um, but, you, you know, I also, I appreciate the human error of officiating because that's, that's part of sport, but also we have to be dialed in. We have to be locked in today, boys, because this yep. is the best game we're going to get all year long. And you have to, you have to be dialed in for that. Well, I think you bring up a great point, too, especially in light of the uh, statements by Roger Goodell today, where he said, quote, officiating, I think, is the best it's ever been in the NFL. That was. Yeah, and that's not that's not true. Yeah. Like that's that's just not true. We don't have to say that you're not helping the situation by saying that it's okay to admit we need to improve. You don't have to sit up, get up there and say it's awful. It's horrible. It's a mess. It's ruining our league. But don't get up there and blow smoke up our ass and tell us it's the best it's ever been. Go, go up not. there. So you're putting sack, even more yes. pressure on those officials on Sunday to get it right. Because now if they get it wrong, you know, you, you've you added fuel to the fire. So absolutely, I think going into this Super Bowl, officiating is a bigger storyline than it probably should be. You know what? Double life sentence. Double life sentence. <laughs> Pit of misery. Dilly, Pit of misery. Dilly. dilly dilly. Roger Goodell serving two life sentences for those con con you know comments. But, and look, here's the deal. <laughs> here's the deal. Is you're absolutely right. You don't have to sit up there and you know try to defend your officials when they're doing a bad job. Just go up there and say what it is mm-hmm. and be honest with everyone. Yep. It, it's it's. It's frustrating as a fan to watch your team get robbed out of a game, right? It's even, I think, as equally or more frustrating to sit as a non-fan and watch a game be shit because the officiating is so bad. So, like, I don't know what they have to do. Like, MLB umpires, they have to go through a school. And MLB is not perfect, right? Right? They've probably been one of the biggest critics of the officiating over the last 20 years. Right. That's why we have robotic officiating or electronic uh, electronic strike zones coming, you know, that are being thrown around. They still have a school that they have to go through to be sure that they're prepared to go be a major league umpire. They don't get to and they don't go through that school and be a major league umpire. They have to go through single A, double A, triple A, just like players do. Right. They don't get just called right up to the big leagues right out of the bat, right out of the gate. So like put them through a process because a lot of these guys, the man, they're, they're still NFL officials that call high school games on the weekends. And that's, that's not okay. Like they have to be put through the ringer of making sure that you are NFL caliber and you're able to do these things. So there has to be a better process to fix this officiating. I hope that Carl Sheffers, who's going to be the crew chief in this one has a good crew. They're dialed in. They're ready to go. Um, but Damn, we have to we have to dial this in, especially for the biggest game and the best game of the year. Yeah, uh, Mitch, my last uh, storyline for this Super Bowl Fifty Seven coming up uh, is pretty simple, Mitch. We are guaranteed a classic game on Sunday, Mitch. We are guaranteed a classic because every time the Super Bowl has been played in Glendale, Arizona, 
We have been in for a treat, Mitch. This is the fourth Super Bowl played in the state of Arizona. The first Super Bowl was played at uh, Sun Devil Stadium in Tempe uh, back in 1996, Super Bowl 30. But we've had two Super Bowls at this venue. Now State Farm Stadium, University of Phoenix Stadium back in the day. We've talked about those two Super Bowls already today, Mitch. They were the first two picks in our Super Bowl draft. Super Bowl 42 between the Giants and the Patriots. The perfect Patriots season comes to a close in Glendale in Super Bowl 42. And then seven years later, Super Bowl 49, the Patriots and the Seahawks, the Malcolm Butler pick, the no Marshawn run. Both of those games happened in this stadium in Glendale, Arizona. So I'm just saying we're batting two for two right now on all-time classic games in, in Glendale. So I think we're pretty much guaranteed a classic on Sunday between these two teams. And I cannot wait. I love the storyline and I love the bold take. I love the bold take as well. So <laughs> it um, better be, I'm ready for it. And I, and I think you're right. I think you're right because this is going to be, I mean, we'll get into our, we'll get into our preview here in just a minute, but man, this is going to be a slug fest. Yes. It's going to be an awesome slug fest of a game. Absolutely. Uh, before we get to these picks, I just want to acknowledge a comment. Uh, my, Caitlin, my wife, I can't believe you left off umbrella iconic uh yes umbrella is a great rihanna track she will definitely play umbrella though umbrella. so that's why yeah. i kind of didn't mention it because okay, i thought so... like there's no way she doesn't play umbrella right so i was kind of looking beyond a little bit but yes gotta so gotta be honest. maybe is there a world where we screwed up the over under of games uh, the, of the exotic of eight and a half songs of eight and a half songs because i what think we just named off well, we just named off like six that we thought should be played. Right. And there's maybe two we're not even thinking of. That's, why I, was, that's why I took over, Mitch. I yeah, took the over on I it because I'm like, I, I don't know. It. There's a lot know. of hits I, out there. You never I may know. have missed it. Yeah. Thanks for the comment. Uh, we appreciate it. Okay, Mitch. It is time. It is The time has come. It is upon us. Super Bowl 57. It's time to make our picks here. Number one seed versus number one seed, AFC versus NFC, the Kelsey Bowl, the Andy Reid Bowl, Eagles and Chiefs. Hold up, we've got we've gotten into the storylines. What what's up? I don't I don't hear any music. Yes, uh, well, we can't play music or we'll get copyright striked on our TikToks. Oh, okay. So uh, unfortunately, it's a good sign because it means we're doing better on the TikTok enough to get noticed. Uh, but it's a problem because when we do, we get copyright striked because of the NFL films music. So unfortunately, uh, we got to keep it out if we want to keep this on TikTok. Uh, but uh, <sighs> but we'll get into this, Mitch. Uh, we've gotten into a lot of previews and storylines already. So uh, are there any last sort of lingering thoughts here before we give our actual picks for the game? I don't know. I think I've, I think we've exhausted all this at nauseum almost Yes. at this point. We've gone through all the playoffs talking about these teams. We've gone through this last episode talking through these teams. There is nothing other than who's going to throw the hardest punches, who is going to have the biggest blow thrown throughout the course of the game. And is it thrown at the right time? 
Because I don't think if you throw the biggest blow of the game, if it's not thrown at the right time, I don't think it's going to necessarily be the be-all, end-all for that game. This is going to be a true boxing match. I mean, imagine two heavyweights getting into the ring. One nails a big right uppercut in the third round and then gets knocked out in the fifth round because it wasn't thrown at the right time. Man, I I I really think we could see something along those lines. I mean, this is going to be a true slugfest, a chess match. Um, all of the, all of the superlatives you could throw in here at this game, throw them at them because this is going to be a hell of a matchup. Yeah, it's a great one, Mitch. And I I think you know one last note. I just think it really just comes down to ball control. Who controls the ball for the majority of this game? Both these offenses want the ball in their hands. They want to be in control. Uh, Eagles are going to want to run the ball, take time off the clock, keep Mahomes off the field. Mahomes wants to be on the field, making plays, putting points up. Whoever gets that game plan the most is going to have the advantage here. Uh, that is the interesting battle I'm, I'm going to be watching. And that comes down to coaching as well, to play calling, how you're managing clock, how you're managing possessions, taking advantage of drives and opportunities when you get them. Uh, that chess match is going to be a lot of fun to watch on Sunday, which leads us here, Mitch, to the picks. It is time. Uh, the I'll final, first. The, I'm the not final gonna, I, quick pick of the year. The, the final quick pick of the year, and I won't make you go first. I'll, I... I actually had to make this pick earlier today. Uh, I was asked to be on a TikTok at work and they asked me my Super Bowl pick. And I, so I had to pick a, like a score. I hadn't thought about it. So I'm ready to go. I've, I've had this locked in for hours. I said this coming into the playoffs, Mitch. I said that the, I I said two things. I said that the AFC was going to win the Super Bowl, right? No matter whether it was the Bills, the Bengals, the Chiefs, whoever came out of the AFC, I felt confident that that team was going to end up winning the Super Bowl. And I picked the Kansas City Chiefs when the playoffs started as my Super Bowl favorite. I felt like after last year's loss, Mahomes and company wanting to prove something this year, they had the proper motivation to come out here and get it done. Here they are in the Super Bowl, Mitch. 15 of the last 18 Super Bowl winners have won, have worn white in the game. Kansas City's wearing white. Philly is wearing green. Now, Philly did also win their last Super Bowl wearing green, so... Take that for what it is. Patrick Mahomes has a 10 and three record in the playoffs, Mitch. His only losses in the playoffs have come to Tom Brady and Joe Burrow. I'm taking the Chiefs in this Super Bowl. I'm taking the over. Over under is 51. The line right now is Philly minus one and a half. I will take Kansas City 28. Philly 27, a one point game, a nail biter, but the Chiefs get it done. So, if I get this correct, you're taking Philly plus one and a half and the Chiefs to win the game. Yes. Because they're not covering. Okay. Wow. It's a hell of a pick. It's a hell of a pick. You know, Philly was the team that I picked to be the NFC representative out from the gate in April. Last April, when we talked about who was going to be making the Super Bowl, I picked Philadelphia to be the NFC representative. I had Buffalo in the AFC. We all know how that went, right? They 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 
didn't quite meet the mark. I think I'd be a coward to back off of it now. And let me tell you something. Mama didn't raise no bitch. (laughs) Give me Philadelphia to cover plus or to cover minus one and a half. Give me the over. And I want Philadelphia 36-33. Wow. High-scoring game. Very high-scoring game. Yeah. I think, yeah. Yeah, high-scoring. High-scoring. Okay. I've got So I don't know how Hassan... I don't know how... I'm sorry. So when you were listening to my prop picks, I don't know how Hassan Reddick wins NFL or wins... Super Bowl MVP giving up 33 points, but you know, it, it he has three sacks and a forced fumble. That's how he does it. Apparently. Yeah. And maybe yeah, a defensive touchdown or something, you know, that's how they it get it. Be. But yeah. uh, I like it. I've got chiefs. Mitch has got Eagles super bowl 57 coming up on Sunday. Cannot wait. Should be a lot of fun. Uh, this has been a lot of fun. This has been a lot of fun oh doing gosh. this podcast today, breaking down this game and so much more. We will be back next week on Monday night. Uh, so a little different scheduling for next week. No Wednesday podcast. It'll be a Monday night Super Bowl reaction live here again on the YouTube and Twitter and on the podcast feed. So tune in on Monday night. We'll break down Super Bowl 57, give our thoughts on the game and everything that transpires uh, on Monday night when we'll uh, be back with you. So uh, before uh, we wrap this up, do want to remind you, if you don't already, Check out the social media channels, the Twitters at Sports Hour Guys, Instagram at the Sports Hour Guys, the TikTok at the Sports Hour Guys, the YouTube, youtube.com at the Sports Hour Guys. It's real easy for you guys. The Sports Hour Guys.wordpress.com is the blog site. I've got an article ready to go for next week, college football related, but we're saving it for after the Super Bowl. So look out for that on the blog next week. Mitch, remind the people about Anchor. Anchor is the only place that you can become a permanent part of the conversation. You have any questions that you want to ask? We'll play it live right here on air. And guess what? Everyone's going to hear it because we're playing the audio. People are tuning in. People are listening. You ask a question, you'll hear it right here on the Sports Hour podcast. That is at anchor.fm slash the Sports Hour. Guys, leave your thoughts there, and we would love to hear them. Be a permanent part of the conversation. If you want to listen to this podcast uh, anywhere, really, you can get this podcast. You can go to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, uh, Stitcher, wherever you get your podcast. Look up the Sports Hour, guys. You look up the Sports Hour, you will find us. Go on Apple Podcasts, leave us a rating and review. Tell us that we suck because, Dallin, that is the only way that we can get better. It is the only way that we can get better. Let us know your Super Bowl predictions. Uh, we will have a post up on the Instagram before the game asking for your score predictions for the game. So, uh, if, again, follow the Instagram. I'll, I'll even throw – you're getting the banner ad now here. There you go. There's the banner on the live. Follow uh, the Instagram yeah. at the Sports Hour, guys, uh, to, to catch that. We want to hear your thoughts on the game. If you're not on there, though, uh, you're watching us live, you're listening, uh, leave us a comment somewhere else. Let us know who you have in this Super Bowl. And uh, also let us know what you're making on Super Bowl Sunday. What are you making Ooh, yeah. for food? Because uh, Super Bowl food, it's uh, it's it's like the almost the best part half the time. 
<laughs> you know, Mitch, yeah. you guys are you, you got some good stuff planned for food on Sunday. Oh, my gosh. My girlfriend has these amazing. Like homemade wings that she does. OK, so we're going to be doing those. We're going to be doing some other things, you know, yeah. it'll be awesome. It'll be a good time. It'll be a good time. Love it. Wings are a classic. Uh, we'll have to get the raw unfiltered reaction to the wings on Monday's reaction pod. All right. Like we need the honest review of the wings. You know what? I may do. I may pull a Dave Portnoy and do a wing review on the Instagram. on the TikTok on the Instagram and TikTok. We need it. We need a video. Right. Absolutely. OK, so, uh, yeah, pencil that in for your I mean, Sunday, Mitch. Yeah, absolutely. Definitely. I love it. You got I love it. it. Good stuff. All righty, folks. It's been so much fun being here, breaking this down for you. Can't wait for Sunday. Can't wait for uh, Monday night podcast, breaking it down with you back here uh, on YouTube, on Twitter, and everywhere else. So until next time, we love you. We appreciate you. And we'll catch you next week. So long, everybody. And a very pleasant good evening to you, wherever you may be. See ya! <laughs>